Good morning. Last week, we ended our series on the Lord's Prayer. And if you were here, you might remember the last petition was, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. It is a petition, a prayer for protection. Protection from our own sinful heart and from Satan himself. The reality is you and I are not immune to temptation. We still have this fleshly body, and we often fall. The trouble is our struggle from a worldly perspective often gets put as an emotional struggle or a physical struggle or a psychological struggle. But the reality is all of our struggle in this world is ultimately a spiritual struggle. The very heart of our struggle is spiritual in nature. And so to understand that spiritual struggle that we have, we're going to actually go back to the Garden of Eden. And we're going to spend four weeks in the Garden of Eden. I'm talking about the fall. Because the bottom line is this. If you get wrong the fall, you get it wrong all. If you get wrong the fall, you get it wrong all. So we're going to be spending four weeks in the garden. And the purpose of spending four weeks in the garden talking about the fall is so that we are strengthened in our faith, so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil to know the effect of sin's destruction, but most importantly, to understand the grace, the mercy, the love, the righteousness, the truth of God in Christ Jesus. That's what we're going to do. So today, it's part one. Part one is entitled, Satan. As I mentioned, if you were here last week, the goal of Satan is to use temptation to cause you to sin. The goal of Satan is to use temptation to cause you to sin. Now, to accomplish this, he uses a number of schemes. So we need to be familiar with his schemes so that we can stand against them. There are four primary schemes that the devil uses. They are to cast doubt on God and God's word, to ignore the consequences, to emphasize the benefits, and to make you a god. We're going to use, before we get to our text here, we're going to use Paul's letter to the Ephesians, our reading from Ephesians today, as our meditation, as we strengthen ourselves to even go into this particular study. So Ephesians chapter 6, Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So with Paul's exhortation, let us go to the garden, part one, Satan, and take a look at his schemes. The first scheme that Satan will use is to cast doubt on God and God's word. From our reading from Genesis. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Oh, this is the first deception of the devil. And it is his primary source. The primary source to get you to sin. To doubt God and God's word. And remember, the serpent was crafty, right? What is crafty? Crafty means subtle, devious, skilled in deceit. Think of it this way. Satan is the greatest con man ever. But he doesn't come out right out and say, here, we just don't believe God. No, he uses a couple different schemes to have you start to doubt God and God's word. The first one is he degrades God's name. Instead of using the phrase, Lord God, which we would be able to translate from the original Yahweh God, which is the covenant name of God, which speaks to God's holiness, his majesty, his sovereignty, Satan just uses the regular word God. You know how some people, like uh, maybe atheists or unbelievers, will say God and they'll use air quotes? This is what Satan's kind of doing. Did God really say? Did that imaginary being, or by the way, have you ever heard any atheists talk about the flying spaghetti monster? Oh yeah, they'll use God, you mean like the flying spaghetti monster? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about that later on some point. But that's what they'll do. So, the first thing that Satan does, he says, did God really say, not me, okay, so there we go. God's calling, apparently. He is verifying this message. So the second thing is, he questions God's accuracy and motivation. Did God actually say? Did God really say? Maybe you didn't hear him correctly. Because, and here's where the devious part gets in, this motivation did God really say that? Because God wouldn't want you to be unhappy, would you? Would he? I mean, God didn't say that because God just wants you to be happy, right? Would a loving God ever want you to be unhappy? This is where that subtle motivation, changing God's, God's word, comes in. Let me put it this way. God has never called you out for happiness. He has called you to be holy. God has never called you out for happiness. He has called you out to be holy. And there is a world of difference between the two. If you even do a word search for happy or happiness, you will find 13 references in the entire Bible, all in the Old Testament. And it's mostly because uh, a husband came home and he was happy for his wife 
or something like that, or they happy for the children. But if you take a look throughout Scripture and you do a word search for holy, oh, it is throughout Scripture. In Leviticus 19, it says, Speak to, God is saying, speak to the, all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Peter reiterates this in first, in his letter, first Peter, uh, verse 15 and 16. But he is, as he said, but as he who called you is holy. Let me start over. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, lest you think that God is a killjoy here, not calling out for you for happiness, he's calling you out for holiness. You have to understand that happiness is self-centered. Happiness becomes all about me and what I want. Holiness is who God is and who God has called you to be. And when you are called and in his holiness, you have joy. What's the name of this church? Joy. It's not happiness church, is it? That would sound weird, wouldn't it? Happiness church? No, it is joy. We talk about the joy of the Lord, right? So when you are called out for holiness and you are in his holiness, there is joy. And that is what Jesus also called us out to be. John 15, this is where our church's name comes from. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Satan's deception here is to change it from God and his holiness to you and what you want and your happiness. All right. He degrades God's name. He questions God's uh, accuracy and motivation. And then he also misquotes God. Satan said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, unless you're reading it carefully, you're going to miss the misquote. Here's what it says. And and this is in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat it, you shall surely die. Notice the very subtle change in words. Words really matter here. Let me give you two real world, real world examples of how this plays out, of the deception of casting doubt on God and God's word. So some of you uh, may recall, I've been meeting with some Jehovah's Witnesses. And um, we've, we actually had two meetings, about an hour each time. And the Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way, they're nice. They're nice people. But I don't base my faith on another person being nice or not. And so the biggest deception that the Jehovah Witnesses have, if you are unaware, is that Jesus is not God. 
That's what they say. Jesus is a created being. There's God the Father and then a lower created being called Jesus. Now, to bolster their statement, their belief, they must change God's word to do so. And the most blatant way that they have changed God's word is this. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? That's what it says. And in the Greek, it actually says, and God was the Word. But here's how they have changed it. They have changed it to say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Do you get the subtle change there? It is a world of difference. They deny that Jesus Christ is God himself. Thus, they also deny the Trinity. And by the way, in the Greek, in the Greek grammar, you do damage to the Greek language if you make it say, and the word was a God. But they have to do that. So it is a deception. But they're nice people, right? They're pleasant. But the deception is still there. Let me give you another example. It's the elephant in the room in our culture today. It is how the changing of God's word has been done regarding gender and sexuality. There has and continues to be an ever greater push to unsin what God has declared sin. There have been many attempts to change, alter, explain away, both the Old and the New Testament, to reinterpret their point of view in light of genetics, in the light of psychology, in the light of cultural evolution. But the clear and unambiguous reading, the clear and unambiguous reading from God's Word is that sexual relations are to be between a man and a woman in a married relationship. That's it. This is the clear, unambiguous reading from Scripture. It is the clear, unambiguous tradition of history of the church from Moses on down. The trouble is many people have now bought into the lie that Satan has regarding this area. In fact, to declare what God says regarding gender and sexuality has now... uh, Well, you're going to be called hateful. You're going to be called a bigot. You're going to be called small-minded and so on. To go against our culture and to actually declare what God's word says, you will be publicly shamed and you most likely will lose your job. Just to read from Scripture alone without any interpretation in Canada and England, you can go to jail. Several states in the U.S. are getting towards that way as well. Now, you might be uncomfortable with this message. A lot of people are uncomfortable with this message. I have often heard from many people throughout the areas that I've gone. uh, They'll say something like this. But, you know, I know this couple, and they're so loving. They're kind. How could that ever be wrong? But again, it becomes about 
their happiness, the self-centeredness of that, versus God's Word. At the same time, you might be uncomfortable because you're not sure what to do about it. You know, how, how do you interact? How should you respond? Let me be very clear. We are not to take vengeance. We are not to shame. We are not to publicly humiliate people like that. In fact, what did Jesus say? Love them. But this love that Jesus talked about isn't simply a feel-good, whatever-goes sort of love, like, I don't care, whatever. No, it has to be love and truth. It has to be love and grace and truth. Listen, if you were standing next to an elevator, and you saw a friend there by the elevator, and the elevator said, out of order, but your friend wasn't paying attention, they just pushed the button, and the door opened up, and they were about to walk into an empty shaft and fall down 15 stories to their death, would you just say, well, you know, I guess it's their choice. I love them. They can do whatever they want. That's not love, is it? You would warn them because you care enough for them and their well-being. In the same manner, we must be able to share God's truth in love and grace with anybody who is ensnared or deceived by sin. And if you think this is just about sexuality now, you are mistaken. This is for anybody. Wouldn't you want to love somebody enough to share God's word with them, to share God's truth with them? Look, why do you think I spent two hours pounding away, really, with some Jehovah's Witnesses? Because I care enough for them. I care enough for the eternal salvation of their souls. That's how we are to love one another. We love them and speak the truth because the consequences are so great. And this is the second scheme that Satan will use. He will try to minimize the consequences. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. What's Satan basing this off of? Nothing. It is pure fabrication. It is pure fabrication. He's just, hey, that's not going to, don't worry about the consequences. You're not going to die, really? Well, next week, by the way, we're going to spend a full message talking about the consequences of sin. But here's the point. Just because you can't foresee the consequences or how they might affect you in the long term doesn't mean that they aren't there. Just because you can't foresee the consequences or how they might affect you in the long term doesn't mean that they're not there. Coincidentally, as I was thinking about this and minimizing the consequences, Wednesday evening as I was preparing dinner, I turned on the TV as I was preparing dinner, and there was this uh, show, uh, Truth About Drugs, The Truth About Drugs. Normally, I wouldn't watch it, uh, but I was thinking, well, okay, consequences. And so it was a documentary, but it wasn't like a storyline documentary. It was testimony after testimony after testimony after testimony, rapid fire, all talking about how people had gotten involved in drugs and the consequences of the drugs. And the consequences were so great. I mean, after a while, they would literally say, I'm going to leave everything. I'm going to leave my, my, my wife, my children. I'm going to leave my husband. I'm going to leave my job just so I can get that next high. 
But the trouble is, they said the next high was never that high. It just was enough to keep them from the pain that they were feeling. It was this downward spiral that led them basically to hell is what it was like for them. But their friends said, you're not going to get hooked on this. Just try it once. It's not a big deal. You'll feel great. It's the best thing around. Minimizing the consequences to overshadow the, the effect, the hell that those people went through. So Satan will do that. You'll surely not die. The other, the third point here is that Satan will emphasize the benefits going on. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. This really plays into us that we want that knowledge so that we can be special. The more knowledge you have, the more special you are. It's all about pride. Look, so I'm learning more about Arizona. Not as many fisher people around here. I get that. How about golfers, right? Uh-huh. Look, if I said I have a book called The Secrets of Golf that will make you a pro. People are like, yeah, I'll buy that one. I bet some of you even have books, books like that already. If you go on Amazon, I did this this morning just for the heck of it. I typed in the secrets of, there were 100,000 hits that I got. The secrets of, we all want that secret, how to be a millionaire, how to do whatever. We want that because it makes us feel good and it goes to the pride that we have. But what does it say? It says in Proverbs 16, pride goes before and actually, it says pride goes before destruction. Yeah, here's the full one. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Now, the same thing happens in the realm of spirituality. The same thing happens with religion. There are a lot of wealth and prosperity gospel preachers. If you only buy this book, if you only do this, you'll unlock the secrets to the divine. You see that. A lot of people are hawking that. Buy my book and God will bless you in this particular way. They even do it with pastors. You have no, so many ads come by my way. Um, double your, your church attendance in 10 easy steps for $89.95 a month. I'm like, Really? Really? If this is God's kingdom, you want to sell that? Why don't you just give that away? But again, this is nothing new. Satan tempts us, saying, oh, if you got this knowledge, if you got this knowledge about God, you're going to be special. That's pride. And the finally, the last one, the last scheme is, God, uh, Satan will promise to make you a God. Verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Now, Satan doesn't actually say you will be God, you'll be like God, but we translate that into we will be God. Who knows about Mormonism? Mormonism says that you, if you are married, if you follow all the rules and regulations, if you are a good person, you too will be a god. And you'll get your own planet, by the way. A lot of people don't know that. 
Sounds pretty good. Oh, I get to be God. I get to be my, I get to have my own planet. That's Mormonism. New Age self-help also does the same thing. There's one fellow named Eckhart Tolle. He wrote the book called the New, A New Earth. He says, if you look, uh, there's only one absolute truth and all other truths emanate from it. Yes, you are the truth. If you look elsewhere, you will be deceived every time. The very being that you are is truth. Jesus tried to convey that when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus speaks of the innermost I am, the essence, identity of every man, woman, every life form. In fact, he speaks of the life that you are. This is new age. A lot of people have bought into this. He was really big on Oprah. Okay, so let's take a look. What does Satan do? The schemes cast down on God's word, ignore the consequences, emphasize the benefits, and make you God. Those are four schemes of the devil. They come in various packages. What can you do about all of this? And this is why we went to Ephesians. You don't argue with the devil. You don't try to put on any particular show. You do what Jesus did. You use God's own word. When Jesus answered the devil and the devil's temptation, he responded each time with, it is written. And by the way, he was referring to the Old Testament too. So the Old Testament is God's word, just as the New Testament is God's word. Jesus said, it is written. And the way he said it, he says, it is written now, once and forever, and stands once and forever. For what did Jesus say? He said, earth and heaven shall pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus simply trusted the word of God and all that it says. He said to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. God is sufficient for my needs. That was part of the Lord's prayer, right? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Don't trivialize God's sovereignty. And you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Look, a lot of people, Satan, his schemes, and the people who are enmeshed in his schemes will come to you. And they will say, did God really say? And you must have the sword of the Spirit, which is what? What is the sword of the Spirit? It is the Word of God. That's why I've asked you, and I will continue to ask you to bring your Bibles. Check out what I'm saying. Make sure that you know God's Word. That's why I think the Lord has really impressed upon me this morning, and I don't say this all the time. We need those Bible studies, and we need more. We need people into God's Word. So we stand fast on God's Word. We're not ashamed of it because His Word is truth. And from his truth comes all grace and righteousness in Christ Jesus. And all people said, Amen.